First down. They come out with three wide receivers. Gives it right side. And they got him for a loss. Good effort by the linebacker to come up and make the play. Hello, everybody. Oh, that, hold on, hold on. Let me lower that. And I think someone just hit a big freaking dong for the Rays. That's a two-run home run. Yeah. Hunter Renfro with a two-run jack at Tropicana Field. The Rays now leading the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, yeah. No problem. And, and, and what's up, everybody? This is Francisco from Sports Goofs. And I'm, I'm joined by my good buddy, Andrew Charles is not with us today because it is his birthday. So happy birthday to Senor Charles. Uh, we wish you a very happy 31, I think. That's how old he is. I'm not even sure. Maybe. I'm not... Okay, but either way, uh, we'll, we'll see you probably next week, dude. Andrew, how you doing, my, my, my dude? I'm doing well, Francisco. How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, just uh, went to work today. Uh did some things on Marlon's Twitter today. A lot of people like that. I don't know if you saw it. I um, did. Very good stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm loving it. I haven't even shown you the the, the, the crown jewel of my collection now. You can't wait to check it out. Oh, yeah. But we'll get to that some other time. You can check that out on uh, at Marlon's History or uh, at – well, or uh, have you posted anything on UCF Historian? I'm not even sure. I posted a little bit of stuff on there. I did some Trivia Tuesday today, and uh, I've got some memorabilia stuff lined up to be posted soon. Yeah. I think they just hit back-to-back jacks at Tropicana now. That's Oh, your Rays are doing good, my my, my friend. All right. Uh, anyways, this is our 72nd episode, and I, I think it, with... The way things are going down, we, we haven't talked about college football in a while. We've been, you know, harping on baseball, hopping on, on hockey, on basketball. But we haven't talked about college football in another, at least the last two weeks. And and there's some stuff that went down and stuff that's about to go down. And I think it's appropriate that we should talk about it as you, Andrew, are our college football guru. And I believe you've brought somebody to help you today. Yes, I yes I have. Uh, joining us this evening, his name is Eric Henry. He is the beat writer for FIU for SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Pause up. Pause up. Um, he is a fellow knight, class of 2015. Also went to Columbia College over in Chicago. Um, member of the Football Writers Association of America, and just overall a very cool dude. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Eric Henry to the show. Man, I, I don't know if I'm worthy of that introduction. Thanks, Andrew. I'm happy to be with you guys. You know, anytime I can hop on with a, with a fellow knight, it's always a good thing. Uh, Francisco, nice to meet you as well. Uh, Andrew, anytime you know, I can help you out, man, you've been a good guy, I think. I don't remember which game it was that we randomly met last season, right? Was it, was it last season or two seasons ago? It was two seasons ago. It was the Shula Bowl. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> We've been doing it start to run together. That's actually about right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember when we met uh, outside of the press 
o'clock and, and you know, and had a chance. I think we actually really kind of hit up on Twitter and then you were like, having to be at the game. Met up from there and then, lo and behold, you managed to snag a credential through Reddit, college football, and cover a couple of games together, man. So I'm honored to be out with you guys. And you were very kind enough to bring me a water bottle that day because it was just boiling hot or humid or whatever it was. <laughs> well, you're a resident of South Florida, so for <laughs> anyone listening who may not be a native Floridian, uh, particularly in South Florida, there's a level of humidity. I mean, I don't know if it's just specific to that stadium or just South Florida in general where it is scorching hot. Mm. So we always have an abundance of fresh, cool water bottles in the press box. Uh, 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 You're not the only person. I'm giving other people water as well. Hopefully the folks at FIU aren't listening. I'm not, you know, giving away their products. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you know, would you rather pay six bucks for a, for a water bottle or, or get one from, uh, inside the press box? So once again, FIU, I'm sorry. You can throw that to me. If I'm <laughs> yeah, I mean, Eric, I've suffered through enough uh, Florida Marlins home games at the old, uh, what now, Hard Rock Stadium on a Sunday afternoon to to know that yeah the humidity in south florida is uh oh yeah i'm here sorry i was uh listening to francisco should i let me give you the the link to the the podcast or trying to think of wait hold on a second i thought i was on speakerphone here i thought or or you could hear me through the through the speakers last time but okay all right that's all, man. <laughs> uh, sorry, Eric. I was just saying that uh, uh, I I've suffered through enough Florida Marlins Sunday afternoon home games to know about the the death of the humidity down here. Uh, yeah, man. Most definitely, especially in the old Pro Player Stadium, even Marlins Park is scorching, man. So, yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, you write for SB Nation. I, I write for uh, the Florida Panthers site, Letterbox Cats. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Well, uh, Andrew, uh, well, college football uh, announcement uh, as far as speaking of Hard Rock Stadium, the Miami Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes have announced that they are uh, in the midst of having a plan to have fans at football games this season. Uh, that is true. I think... Uh... I think it was what thirteen thousand that yeah, they're going to be living in. That's the estimate. Uh, and of course, the joke going around is that wow, they're increasing they're increasing their fan base for this oh, year. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of hype for the Miami Dolphins and the Hurricanes, respectively, for this upcoming season. But um, it's about let's see, it's about sixty-five ish k stadium. 13,000, I mean, that's that's not that significant of a number. I'm not sure how it would go down. Uh, they said they would have priority for season ticket holders, uh, boosters, and as far as college is concerned, students as well, and, and most importantly, recruits. And I've, I've been hearing a lot of talk down here in South Florida sports radio about how that could potentially be an advantage for basically any of these schools that are playing, whether it's in the ACC or the SEC, and an advantage over what's going on in uh, Pac-12 and, and, and Big Ten. So I, I just have to ask, Eric, if you feel that that in any way will affect recruiting or, or possibly any um, 
I mean, there was uh, some some uh, some speculation. Oh, you could have showcases for Big Ten uh, recruits that might want to switch on over. interesting yeah that's that's quite a point i never i didn't i haven't heard that anywhere in the the you know, as far as the south florida sports media is concerned um andrew you have a question um I'm trying to think i i had a couple of questions uh drafted up um i don't know i guess since we're kind of on the topic of of uh covid19 i guess uh so FIU, uh, well, I guess let me do a quick uh, overview, I guess. So in the major FBS level, uh, four conferences have completely canceled games. You've got the Big Ten, the MAC, the Mountain West, and the Pac-12 are all done. Um, the other conferences, for the most part, are still, and a couple of independents as well, have uh, canceled um, for the most part, the other conferences are pretty unscathed uh, with a few changes. Like I know um, FIU is starting their season a couple of weeks later, uh, which affects the uh, game against UCF that was scheduled uh, for early in September. Um, so 
I guess I have a couple of questions first. Uh, for the conferences that are sticking around, is there kind of like a general sense of, you know, this thing may be over in two seconds? Yes. I mean, I, I in the effort of full disclosure, I have not spoken with anyone outside of Conference USA, which is the league that I cover. However, to kind of give a broad overview, I wouldn't take it from that perspective, Andrew. I don't think it's a matter of this thing might be over in two months, because I don't think anyone could trick themselves into thinking that. But here's why I have to give leagues like Conference USA and some of the other leagues, the uh, American Athletic Conference, the Atlantic Coast Conference, the SEC, a little bit of credit here. So I think they've taken uh, a lot of criticism, maybe rightfully so, but look at it from this perspective, right? There's literally no harm and them waiting to delay the season, should that be the outcome. There's nothing that says we have to start the season by this point in time. Or, and put you this way, there's nothing that says we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to postpone fall sports by this point in time. I respect the decision that the Big Ten made, and I respect the decision that the Pac-12 made. I do think that, for lack of a better phrase, there's kind of an element of, let me just stick my finger in the air and see which way the wind's blowing and make the decision that way. And I'm going to give those leagues credit, uh, the leagues who have chosen to, to continue, for saying, hey, there's more research to be done. Conference USA, for example, has come up with a testing protocol that they're going to test uh, teams three times per week and the, with the, the final test being done 40 hours before game day. And they're trying to figure out a way because I just don't see, and granted, you know, as someone who is pretty invested in, whether or not there's college football this season, I guess maybe I'm a little bit biased in this perspective, but I just don't see what the harm is in saying, hey, until all these teams were scheduled to start their season, let's hold off and see if we can find a safe way to do this. And, you know, there's so many mitigating variables, Andrew, and I'll probably you know, kind of cut this answer off here. There's so many mitigating variables just dealing with college kids in terms of, you know, you can't, you, you can't only create a bubble environment so much if they're going to have to go to class. But I just think in the end, there was if the kids already out there practicing, which they already were, and already back in their respective university environment, there was no need to make that decision just quite yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a point I heard pretty much all day today. A lot of people were praising the ACC for... For, for holding out and seeing how things would go and, 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 and criticizing the Big Ten for for possibly jumping the gun a bit. I think the Pac-12 was just waiting for somebody big to do it, for them to announce it. But if, there might be a cultural difference there. It might be the fact that they're in the West Coast. It, difference between uh, here and there with regards to football. I mean, football is just massive in the Midwest. I mean, Ohio stadiums get... Um, for high school, it can get you know twenty k crowds. It's it's just a part of life. It's a way of life. So um, uh, some people have been praising them for for finding. Uh, and there is a way. It's not that it's in, It's not that it's impossible. I mean, Major League Baseball has had their ups and downs so far this season with regards to uh, um, some outbreaks here. But uh, I think uh, these conferences that have chosen to go know what they're up against i don't think they've they've completely ignored that and will take whatever they can uh any precautions that they can do to to protect all of their staff and all of their um their athletes so uh, and yeah and and you said that you're a bit biased because you are in 
in the college football industry. And that is also another factor. I mean, there are jobs literally on the line with whether it's the guy who's who's uh, wiping down the seats at the stadium or, or, or what have you up to the coaches and staff. So there are economic factors to be weighed in here and and people are, are waiting for football to return because that's uh, their livelihood. Okay, uh, you have a question, Andrew? Another one? Uh, let me see. Uh, okay. I, I promise you, Eric, we are not nearly as prepared as uh, the Shul Bowl podcast. We apologize. <laughs> Andrew, it, <laughs> if we have tricked you into thinking that we're prepared, we've <laughs> You know, if I made the chief plug here, if you want to talk about the Underdog Dynasty Conference USA podcast, that's a different story. We'll do a little bit of prep as far as that goes. As far as Super Bowl, yeah, we, 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 I'm, I'm glad we have you got the you know, Eric, we, we oftentimes uh, we mask the unpreparedness with just going into tangents about food and video games. So uh, we kind of find ways to, to fill in the time. Uh, my wheelhouse isn't college football. It's mainly hockey and baseball. Uh, so gotcha. I, I, I'm, I'm a Florida State alum uh, as well as okay. uh, um, uh, FAU and FIU alum. I've gone to every school and the state of florida for some reason but uh florida state's my primary team my sister went there i went there that that's our bread and butter and uh i don't mind if we don't have a season because i don't think we're gonna have a season regardless <laughs> with our performance uh we'll see how our new coach does in his first year uh, you know there's hope there at least but uh we know we're down for for at least this season if we do play i'm not gonna kid myself there um you know, I'll give Andrew a second to find a question, but I will say this. Uh, as someone who I've had a chance to spend a little bit of time around Mike Norvell, had a chance to cover both of the conference championship games. Who have been, uh, I'm just, we played against Central Florida. Uh, UCF, I'm, I'm sorry. As a UCF alum, I, I should know better than Central Florida, right? <laughs> um, but uh, I, I went into to pure journalistic mode there, Andrew. I'm sorry. But no, I think you guys have, have reason for optimism. Norvell's a good coach. I know his tenure has gone off a bit of a rocky start, but Norvell is a good coach. I, if you're a Florida State fan, I would have faith in, uh, in what he's got going on over there. Yeah, from everything I've heard, and we've had um, uh, Jordan uh, on here before, too, another guest uh, that Andrew has brought in. Uh, and there is optimism there, and I'm, and I'm, especially after the last few seasons, uh, I'm, I'm being patient. I'm being patient with regards to that. Um, and I always love a little jab at the Hurricanes who keep thinking they're, they're back and Every the cycle continues, but that's a whole different story. Um, in any case, uh, yeah, that, that's those are my college football allegiances. There, um, all right. Okay, so uh, kind of sticking with COVID, this will be my, uh, I guess, my last question on it. Um, I have the chart here. So, four independent teams are not playing this season. You've got UMass, or sorry, three. Uh, UMass, uh, New Mexico State, and UConn are not playing this season. Um, and then Notre Dame is funky, and they're playing with the ACC this season. So for those three teams, those three independents, how screwed are they financially? 
Okay, we're not talking about Notre Dame, correct? That's what I'm talking about. That. Right, we're not talking about Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> without having, without being privy to their athletic budgets, it's going to be an issue. I mean, that's just a fact of the matter. Now, do I think, Andrew, they're any more or less screwed than any team in Conference USA or any team in the Sun Belt should those leagues not play? No. <laughs> you know, uh, it's no secret that I, I, I am a huge believer. Um, or I shouldn't say a believer. I'm a huge, you know, someone who I will shop from the rooftops. You have the haves and the have-nots regarding college football, and really college athletics as a whole. So the Power Five conferences, by virtue of the money that they are allotted, TV money, et cetera, et cetera, they're just well off, you know. And there's no reason why a Vanderbilt, or maybe Vanderbilt is a bad example of being a private university, but I'll say a Mississippi State or Kentucky, a team that's been a mid-tier to lower-tier SEC school for basically the entirety of our lifetime. And just by virtue of them being grandfathered into the SEC, they have the funds to continue. Whereas if you're a UCF or USF or Boise State, San Diego State, et cetera, et cetera, you're fighting for dear life. So, but to bring all that back around to your question, I honestly think that, is it an issue? Yes, absolutely. I mean, UConn, now granted, UConn has two gigantic revenue makers in women's basketball and men's basketball. Not so much men in the past few years, but in general, they tend to get a lot of revenue from that. Whereas, for example, you know, if you want to take a University of Charlotte, North Carolina, for example, they are dependent upon football, right? It just is what it is. So, Yes, those independent teams are in trouble. You know, UMass and Mexico State and things of nature. Things of nature, excuse me. But they're not any more screwed than your Mountain West team who chose to cancel football. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I figured that because those teams uh, don't get any sort of uh, conference revenue, that they may be worse off, but. If there's no money coming into the conference, then they're also in dire straits as well. Does that make sense? Um, okay, so let's move on to... Do you have anything else, uh, Francisco, about COVID? Or... No, no. I don't, I think okay. we've, we've all been hammered with this subject for the last few months. I think we should move on for maybe a, maybe a slightly more pleasant subject. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, speaking of pleasant subjects, Mackenzie Milton, let me say, what a badass this guy is. Um, so, Francisco, I'm sure you know the story oh, of yeah. Mackenzie Milton. pretty inspiring now. Uh, but for those who aren't in the know, I'll just do a quick, uh, quick overview. Uh, Mackenzie Milton was the starting quarterback for UCF uh, starting in 2016. Um took the team to the national championship season in 2017. Yes, it was a national championship. You can at me if you want, but I don't care. Um, and then late in the season in 2018 against South Florida, uh, Mackenzie Milton had an absolutely brutal leg injury that just was yikes. Um I think, if I remember correctly, it's the kind of injury that he could have lost his leg, um, but for him being very close to a trauma one level center over in Tampa, 
it could have turned out a lot worse than it did. And the the goal was for him to walk, just walk, uh, pain-free uh, pain for the rest of his life. He's now doing sprints and throwing footballs on the practice field. It's something that I don't think anyone could have even imagined happening. So that is, that's a feel-good story, I guess we'll say, to kind of get away from the doom and gloom that we've been talking about. Um, so I, I mentioned this to someone. I can't remember if I brought this up with you, Eric, but considering how the rules are getting kind of funky uh, this year, like, for example, the NCAA just uh, announced that I think they're, they're recommending, or I don't know if it was uh, for sure, but... They said that anyone should be able to get an extra year of eligibility regardless of whether they play. Um, and then also, to the best of my understanding, and my understanding is pretty flimsy, um, football players at least, they can play, their, their red shirt isn't, they can take another red shirt even if they used it up their freshman year. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, let's say by some miracle, um, and his recovery has been full of miracles at this point, let's say Mackenzie Milton is well enough to be the starting quarterback for this season. What, do you foresee a situation where Dylan Gabriel might... Um, essentially sits uh, second string for a year to let McKenzie uh, finish off his career? Or would, uh, I don't know, that McKenzie would essentially have to fight for that spot as well? Sure. So, I mean, we can play around with that hypothetical, Andrew. I can just, to the best of my knowledge uh, from people who are close to the program, much closer than I am, Mackenzie Milton will not be healthy to play this year in terms of a starting level. So, I mean, we can play around with the hypothetical, and I'm more than happy to entertain questions, but just to put it out there, from everything I've heard, the chances of him being a starting quarterback sometime in 2020 are slim to none. And, you know, to, you gave the background of the story. I actually covered that game uh, for SB Nation and UDD. I was there at Raymond James Stadium, and I, by no means am I one to paint doom and gloom. You know, I naturally am an optimistic person, but I was there down, you know, where the, the UCF locker room is and had a chance to see not only the reaction of the players, but the reaction of Coach Josh Heifel as well. It, there was legit fear that he would lose his leg, you know. So when you come back from that level, I mean, we're talking about Alex Smith. Um, I'm forgetting the other player off the name of my head. Off the top of my head right now. I believe it's Cecil Shorts. Yeah. Um, just to give a little background, Andrew, there has not been a player in terms of football who has suffered the injury. I believe Zach Miller, former tight end for the Bears, suffered the injury against New Orleans as well. There has not been a player in football who has suffered that injury and has come back. So to get to the point where Mackenzie Milton is now is remarkable because, you know, you're talking about really just him and Alex Smith are the only guys who even got back to this point. Sean Livingston, uh, NBA point guard, is the only athlete, to the best of my knowledge, who suffered the level of trauma in terms of a leg injury and actually came back to perform at that sport. Now, to your question about Dylan Gabriel, let's 
pretend in some hypothetical that Mackenzie Milton was able to regain his starting job this year. We're so far along in the you know training camp process, the fall camp process. Dylan Gabriel isn't going to just transfer at this point. He'd be the number two quarterback, and you know Mackenzie Milton would be the number one, and would go from there. I, it'd be hard pressed to see a situation where he just transfers. But like I said, I, I by no means am I you know wanting to paint doom and gloom, but I also want to be realistic about the situation. While he is running right now, there's no I, the level of uh, first off, he has a massive. Um, Grace that's still on his leg, you know, that's still supporting him. So the level of, of what it takes to be a starting quarterback or what it takes to be a quarterback in general uh, at the FBS level, there's no reason to believe that he can do that. Now, could he be a number three or could he redshirt? Sure. But to think that he would come to start this year is not something that I see. And once again, to be completely transparent, those who are around the program don't see that either. Right. And I don't know. Like I said, I like to play with hypotheticals. Uh, Francisco and I, being uh, in the in the legal <laughs> legal department, we deal with hypotheticals all the time. Um, so uh, okay, so I guess just a quick uh, little bit about UCF uh, finishing it off. Um, so they're coming off of a quote unquote disappointing season and I I I say that with I'm literally doing air quotes right now because they went 10 and 3 um, beat the crud out of Stanford uh, in front of uh, Tiger Woods probably one of their more their more famous athletic alums um, and Lost their games by a combined score of uh, by a combined seven points. One of which was the uh, the pit special, if you will, um, which still hurts to this day. Um, does UCF still have a shot at kind of going back? I I, I think they do, but I would be would be remiss if I didn't ask, do they have a shot at going back to the New Year's Six this year? Oh, sure. I mean, to say they have a shot at New Year's Six, uh, with the way you prefaced the question, Andrew, I, I thought you were going to ask if they have a chance to make the college football playoff. You know, that's a completely different story. Anyone who's read any of my writing, uh, I firmly believe that there is no, there is no route for a group of five program to make the college football playoff as is. I'm a firm believer that <laughs> group of five teams are not represented fairly in terms of the college football landscape, but that's a discussion for another time. If you're talking about just making New Year's Six, yeah, there's uh, first off, you take away Boise State. Boise State, with their quarterback Hank Bachmeyer, that was going to be a, a huge obstacle in terms of really competition from the group of five teams. Now you look at the rest of group of five, all the competition is coming from the American. It's all competition that they will deal with from within. Memphis, Cincinnati, all teams on the schedule. I'm looking at it right now. They play Cincinnati on November 21st. These are scheduled to. The Memphis game will be on 10-16. That's always a tough game from the Liberty Bowl. Fans are no, are no fans. So those are the two teams that are in their obstacle. But with that being said, it's just loaded. You know, Andrew, and one of the things I think you have to give a lot of credit to is Scott Frost. You and I, you know, I think you graduated, what, 2013, 2014, am I correct? Uh, 2014, so uh, the Fiesta Bowl season was my last. Okay, so the reason I bring that up 
is because UCF, for all of the success that the team had under George O'Leary, they did not have a real identity, mm-hmm. right? They just were a solid football team that won games, won a lot of games, despite the winless seasons during George O'Leary's first year and his final year. They won a lot of games, but there's no real reason to consider them any different than anybody else. Insert Scott Frost, he brings this UC fast identity. And what they've managed to do is get extremely athletic players on the outside, have talented backs, and they've hit the quarterback jackpot specifically from Hawaii when he talks about Mackenzie Milton, now Dylan Gabriel. So what that's done for UCF is that's attracted talent that they weren't able to get prior. Just in terms of recruiting, I mean, you talk about the amount of Power 5 transfers. I believe UCF had three or four kids who were signed to Power 5 schools and actually played at Power 5 schools who were transferred in this past offseason alone. So when you just talk about the level of talent on that team, there's more than enough. I'm a huge fan of a guy, uh, running back, receiver, Jack Walter Perry, by the name of Otis Anderson. I've been a huge fan of his since his freshman year. I think he is arguably the most dynamic player in all of college football. He's one of those guys who anytime he gets his hands on the ball, he gets right to score. So guys like that, you know, guys like Tay Gowan, um, Cole Snyder, and then that's not to mention Dylan Gabriel as well, who I, I think personally is, is for a, a really breakout season. You know, as a true freshman, he had his growing pains. We saw that, and you know, Andrew, I'm sure you can attest to this as well. I think UCF fans may have been a little bit spoiled by the quarterback play. Yeah. Because when, when Dylan Gabriel came out and he kind of lit the world on fire, especially the Stanford game, they thought, okay, this guy is the next deal. You know, he's going to be the next one, but not realizing that he was still a true freshman. And he's not Mackenzie Milton. At least not, at least not yet, uh, that is. So he did have to go through his growing pains. And, and it did take time for him to play an entire college football season. The only thing that I think stopping them from reaching that goal of reaching another New Year's Six game is the fact that this has been a funky offseason. And this goes for any team in college football, but specifically UCF or any team that is dealing with a young quarterback or quarterback competition. You would typically use your spring practice to either figure out, A, if you have a quarterback competition, who your quarterback is, or B, if you have a young guy growing, that'd be the time when he can really come in and say, hey, this is my team. Unlike last spring, when Dylan Gabriel was coming in and competing for the job with Daryl Mack and Quadrant Jones and others, this was going to be the spring that he had a chance to come in and really cement himself as the leader of the team. He didn't get a chance to do that, so how much he can play catches and ball remains to be seen. But in my opinion, I, I don't see any reason why the Knights – I've seen some projections. I believe there was a – well, I think it was an article written by Pat Forty and Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated that had both Cincinnati and Memphis ranked ahead of them. I can understand that. I think Cincinnati's a really good football team. Uh, Memphis as well as about Brady White and just Kenneth Kane, well, the amount of talent that they bring back. But I'm a firm believer in that to be to be the man, you got to beat the man to quote the old Ric Flair line. UCF did suffer quote unquote a down year at ten and three last year, but I think they have all the pieces coming back. Oh man, I wish Charles was here for that. He's our resident WWE expert, so he he's probably going to be kicking himself that he wasn't here for this one. <laughs> um, so. Now let's go to the, um, I know I'm kind of jumping around and my, my interview skills are a bit rusty, but, um, so let's go. It's just, it's just me, man. You're all, you're all good. Doesn't matter if you can jump around. It's just like it's up talking the quest box. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let's go to the team that you cover the most, that you have the most experience with, and that is FIU. 
And actually, the Tampa Bay Lightning just scored, so I'm very excited. Um, to let you know, Francisco, um, Eric is from the Bay Area. Oh, okay. Uh, so he's a he's a Tampa fan through and through who is very excited that Tampa Bay is here. Okay. All right. <laughs> see what the Bucks do. Uh, Andrew, I'm not from the Bay Area. I'm from Tampa. Let, let's get that. I am from dead smack off for Tampa General Hospital. I'm from Tampa. I'm not, I'm not from Clearwater or Sarasota or surrounding areas. I am from Tampa. <laughs> so I am very much happy that Mr. Brady resides in, uh, in Tampa. I figured I'd hedge my bets since I knew you were from the Tampa area, but I didn't want to. I, I figured I'd do a. I figured I'd use a a broad stroke, and hopefully I would be correct. <laughs> no, you're all good. Um. So, FIU is coming off of not its best season because that would be 2018 with the Bahamas Bowl win. Um, but certainly putting themselves uh, on the uh, on the national stage, beating the University of Coral Gables over at Marlins Park, um, in what I have dubbed the um, the Crusade for Miami Dade. Um, so. Now, the big thing, though, about FIU is they have lost Captain Morgan. Captain Morgan being James Morgan, who transferred in from, I want to say, Bowling Green? You're correct. Yay, I remembered something. So, um, uh, James Morgan transferred in from Bowling Green, um, Green Bay native. He's off to the NFL with the New York Jets. How is FIU going to respond to that? Because, I mean, I think it could be argued that Morgan, for the two seasons that he was FIU, was better than Alex Magoo. Yeah, to be, I don't think that can be argued. And once again, you're completely transparent. It's funny, you led into this whole discussion with being a Tampa native. I went to the same high school as Alex Magoo, and we missed by one year. So I've been following, I've been following Alex Magoo since he was a freshman in high school. So this is what I'm about to say is not a slight at Alex Magoo. But he went through really an up and down three years prior to Butch Davis's arrival in 2017. He had multiple offensive coordinators. And to be quite frank, you know, anyone who talks about the Ron Turner tenure at FIU, uh, and, and this is by no means this meant to disrespect Coach Turner, but most people believe that things were, to say the least, it was a lot of turmoil. I mean, you could, you could ask any player who played during the Ron Turner era and compare them. Any player who overlapped with both, both Ron Turner and Butch Davis, they talk about the level of stability that Butch Davis brought to the program. So mm-hmm. let's put that into account there when assessing Alex Magoo's tenure. But with that being said, yeah, James Morgan, in the two years he was there, the argument can be made that he was the best quarterback in FIU history. And I think that shows with his selection by the Jets in the fourth round. One of the biggest things that people tend to overlook with James, when talking about his 2018 season, he was ultimately successful, 27 touchdowns, only nine interceptions, was one of the top quarterbacks in Conference USA. Fast forward to 2019, 
not necessarily as much success, but the numbers were 15 touchdowns to four interceptions. Still a good TD to INT ratio, but wasn't necessarily as dynamic, 58% completion percentage compared to 66 the year prior. But the big thing is that James got the team out of a lot of bad plays and into good ones. And that's something that when you have a quarterback like him who's smart, veteran leader, things of that nature, you can't just really pick up and replace easily. So fast forward to 2020, the big question is quarterback will replace him. There are a couple candidates, the first one being Max Bordenschlager. He's a transfer from the University of Maryland, got the program about February, February, March, right before the coronavirus shutdown. And he's someone who, if you talk to people at the FIU staff, they see a lot of James Morgan and for James, he's someone who, that maybe after your guys' hearts, uh, has a, uh, believe his master's in pre-law, because I, I knew he was a grad student, so uh, he always said that, hey, if the NFL doesn't work out, the next step for me is law school, so uh, very smart kid, and Max Bornschlager shares those traits as well, someone who graduated from Maryland two and a half years, was always a member of the Big Ten All-Academic Team, made it three straight years, 2017, 2018, 2019, so someone who has, in terms of just the sheer, you know, academic uh, pedigree for whatever that's worth in the football field. He has that. But another similarity is that he played in multiple offenses during his time at Maryland. He played for three offensive coordinators in four seasons there. And when you have that type of turnover, it's just really hard to develop any type of consistency. And that's something that James faced as well during his time at Bowling Green. The second candidate is someone who, Andrew, I believe you saw. My memory should me correct. Did you cover the New Hampshire game? Uh, I was present there. Um, but not in the press box. Not in the press box. Okay, yeah. That's the one game that I actually got pulled away to cover the UCF Stanford game. So I was not there. But you did see Kalen Wiggins start, and you have that edge on me because I've, I've only seen it on TV. However, I've you know, been around the program for a couple of years. The thing about Kalen is he's a proven athlete. You know for a fact that when he comes, when he comes into the ball game, you have that true dual threat quarterback. The question that he hasn't answered yet is can he be a sufficient passer? I don't think there's any reason to think that he can't be. Now, is he going to be James Morgan? No. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. He's not a traditional, pa- pa- excuse me, he's not a traditional pocket passer. He'll play the game the same. But I'll bring all it back around to UCF here. Andrew, did you know that Mr. Gabe Davis, former UCF Knight, his quarterback in high school, was one Kalen Wiggins? So, I did not know that. And there you go. Both teammates at Stanford Seminole High School. So obviously, Kalen has the ability to throw the football. The major thing, like I said, with him, is going to be: Does he? Can he take command of the offense? And can he earn Coach Davis's trust as long uh, as well uh, with offense coordinator Rich Skrowski as to how he can operate the core, the, the quarterback position? The third quarterback is going to be a guy out of Nashville, Tennessee, really highly touted prospect two years ago in Stone Norton. So Stone is someone who, again. When you talk about the quarterback position, highly regarded as being, you know, someone who's very intelligent, someone who has a great understanding of the offense, actually played for a former NFL quarterback in Jonathan Quinn at Davidson Academy in Nashville. So from a scheme perspective, from a concept perspective, he's been running advanced offenses really since the time he was a freshman in high school, you know, 14, 15 years old. So he has that advantage going for him. But the major thing is just game experience. Max Bordenschlager, uh, believe it or not, once again, Andrew, I can always tie with him back to UCF if you give me enough time. <laughs> Max Bordenschlager's first start, was, excuse me, his first start, his, uh, his most extended playing time was against UCF in the 2017 season. If you remember the game at Maryland during the 2017 season, that was a game that Max Bordenschlager took over and let most of the distance took over for. Uh, I believe it was Tyrell Pigrome took over for him after an injury. So uh, Max Bordenschlager has 19 games of experience. 
whereas Kalen Wiggins at one start did see game, did see game action in, I believe it was nine or ten games this year that Kalen saw action in, so uh, in mostly in passing situations where he was a runner, but he does have some game action. Still Norton retreated last year, so he doesn't have any game action. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, Andrew, I think the biggest thing is going to be between those three guys, who can come in, who can command the offense, and whoever can win that job, they have a dynamic playmaker uh, in wide receiver Jeremiah Holdeman. You're talking about a guy who in 2018 was making one-handed catches against Florida for fun before his, uh, his dismissal from the University of Georgia. So he's someone who, uh, I've already said that on the record, he's going to be the most talented player in Conference USA the second he steps on the field. He, he was a five-star recruit heading to Georgia, and whoever wins the quarterback job will definitely be getting him the football. All right. It seems like... Uh a lot of promising future for uh, down here in Miami. Okay. Um, and then I, two more questions for you. I know that we've been running long, but um, I guess two burning questions for me about FIU, and then I'll let you go. Sure. I'll, I'll try to make them. I'll try to make my answer to think on this one. Okay. Um, so my first one is, and this is more of a personal one. I forget his name, which kills me, but um, there was a player who got severely injured in senior day last year. Um, Maurice Alexander. How is he doing? Uh, well, Maurice is fully recovered from the injury. Uh, Maurice was a senior, so like you mentioned, on senior day. He, uh, Maurice was a well-liked guy. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a Miami native, Booker T. Washington, just, you know, uh, through and through, really respected by all of his teammates and really the greater area in South Florida down there, was actually a high school quarterback, led his team to multiple state championships, so to really revered down there, but however, he, like you mentioned, suffered a uh, broken ankle, had to recover from that, and then with the coronavirus kind of changing the way things were done as far as the NFL combine, NFL training situation, he didn't get a chance to work out for NFL scouts because the uh, FIE actually didn't get a chance to hold their traditional combine. And that made things, you know, rather difficult there. So, excuse me, the combine, my apologize. They didn't, my apologies, they didn't get a chance to have a traditional pro day mm-hmm. in front of NFL scouts. So that made things a little bit different there. Um, so Maurice is back home in, in South Florida, from what I understand, but is not with the NFL team. Uh, that's unfortunate. And just as a just as a personal note, Francisco, I um, I actually happened to be on the field when the injury happened, and I will never forget the. I and I was like on the same sideline as him. I, it's just you could hear him screaming in pain. Yeah. It's just awful to hear and see. And I I knew just from what I was hearing, like something was serious. Uh, when that happened, but I'm, I'm glad that he's at least somewhat recovered, um, and you know, hopefully, you know, a career can go forward once things are a bit back to normal. Um, and then my last question for you, and this is one that I've been wondering for a while. Um, do you think, in terms of, like, George O'Leary, he had an established coaching career before coming to UCF, and uh, UCF, even before him getting him resigning uh, or stepping down from the job, I forget what the exact verbiage was, um, it was clear that UCF was going to be his final coaching gig. Um, 
do you see something like that happening with uh, Butch Davis? Just to be clear, Andrew, are you asking me if I, if I believe that Butch Davis is going to be his final gig? Or is it, cause I, trust me, if you talk to Butch, he has no plans on resigning anytime soon. Oh, no, no, no. Um, that, you know, he's not going to, like, shift to another team or whatever. Like, this will be his final coaching gig. If you ask Coach Davis, he will tell you, and it's funny, he was just asked this question during a, a teleconference that we had. He, he said, a Zoom conference that he had, he said that, hey, you know, he has no plans on stepping down or retiring anytime soon. He wants to coach as long as he can. I actually vividly remember, Andrew, last training camp. You, like you guys, both of you guys are South Florida residents. You know how hot it can get during the dead of July. And Butch Davis was there on the field at Ricardo Silva Stadium, all of 67 years old, drenched in sweat. And you just saw this enthusiasm as he's rushing, running off the field, and he walks to me like, hey, Eric, did you see the toys I got for the guys? He actually made a, made a run to Walmart and got a bunch of kids' pool toys to take for the players that when they hopped in their ice bath <laughs> after the practice that they could have. So uh, in terms of enthusiasm for the game, you know, that's still their passion for the game. Uh, Coach Davis does not sound like a man who's ready to quit anytime soon. But as far as this being his last gig, you know, I, I, personally speaking, I don't think – I think this will be the last stop. But here's the shift in coaching from when Coach O'Leary got to UCF, which it seems crazy. I think George O'Leary was in his 50s. I, I actually had to do a double take when I realized that George O'Leary was only, I believe, 71 or, or 70, uh, something like that, when he had a recent birthday. But if you look at stops like Mac Brown, excuse me, coach like Mac Brown in North Carolina, Matt Brown, I believe, is 70 or 71 and got the job in North Carolina two years ago, turned things around. North Carolina, North Carolina looks to be a success. Herman Edwards, 64, 65 years old, walks away from ESPN, takes a job at Arizona State, and they're heading in the right direction. So for teams that may have said, or universities that may have said, hey, we need to get the next young coach, someone who's in their 30s and is up and coming, they may be willing to take a look at a Butch Davis. But if you ask me my gut thought, I just think that this is the best situation for him because he knows the South Florida landscape, as he will be the first to tell you. Uh, you know, he was coaching the Miami team from 1995 to 2000. So the entire run that Miami went on in the, was that the early 2000s, mm -hmm. the last time the Hurricanes were really successful, yeah. he was the person who recruited all those players. So he'll be the person to tell you that, you know, uh, he knows who he's doing as far as recruiting, and his name holds a certain weight down there in South Florida that it may not hold anywhere else. Uh, one of the things about Bush Davis in recruiting, the players, the 18 and 19-year-olds, may not know who he is, but their parents do, because they remember the last Hurricane team to be great, and they know that he's the one who put them together. So I just don't think, sure, Andrew, anything's possible. I like to write... You know, I don't want to say nothing, you know, write it off. But I just think that given where he's at in his career, he has really carte blanche at FIU. There's no, hey, six and seven season last year, all this scrutiny about, you know, uh, is he past his prime or anything like that. I just think this is the right fit for him, and especially being a South Florida. That makes a lot of sense. And like you were kind of saying, he has carte blanche, and, you know, it's, It'll take a lot for him uh, for him to be fired. Like uh, you know, six and seven season would be disappointing for a lot of other schools. But this is three years in a row they've made a bowl game. So you know he's he's got job security. 
All right. Well, again, I, I apologize for taking so much of your time. It was supposed to be 30 minutes, and it turned into... We're at 50 minutes now. 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I enjoy talking college football, um, and I enjoy talking with you, and it's a bummer that I probably won't be able to make it to the press box this year, but we'll chat when we can, and maybe I can step by and say hi uh, before games. No, man, absolutely. Like I said, Andrew, you know, anytime I can help out a fellow night, I have always a phone call or text away. That is never a big deal at all. Francisco, great to be online with you, with, with a fellow SB Nation or at that. Uh, really quick, give a quick plug before I hop off the line. Uh, you can always find my work at underdogdynasty.com. And please, if you are a fan of Conference USA football or any of the Team USA football that I have belabored on for the past 51 minutes, I've intrigued you. Listen to the Underdog Dynasty Conference USA podcast. We uh, have a lot of great guests. You can find your favorite college football, excuse me, your favorite Conference USA head coach or beat writer, whoever it may be, on the podcast. So give that listen to as well. Oh, I love it. I love the plug. It sounds so professional. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> well, thank you, Eric. Thank you for coming on to our, our little program here and and, and, and and speaking with us. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Take care. All right. You too. Adios. All righty. Andrew, that was a fantastic interview. I enjoyed that very much. I know I had to sit in the back there for a bit because I let you guys do your thing. As you guys uh, know that I'm not a college football guy, but that was uh, very intriguing. I I really enjoyed it. So thank you for for getting Eric to to come on our show. Definitely. And, you know, nice dude. Uh, you know, as, as knowledgeable as he is about college football, he's just genuinely a nice guy. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I ran into him on uh, on Twitter, and I got to spend a lot of the season with him last year. So, uh, I, I, You know, I want to say, and I know we're not in our non-sponsor thing, but, I mean, how awesome is it that, um, and you know, you know me about my qualms with the mainstream sports media. Right. <laughs> Which is the reason why I have this show with you and Charles. <laughs> because I wanted to do my own thing and now I have to listen to the talking heads that uh, spew BS about football and basketball and ESPN every day. Even Fox Sports 1. They suck too. Um, so, I mean, sheesh. I, I mean, Joy Taylor on Colin Coward's show, I don't know how she doesn't just strangle a man every day. I honestly, <laughs> honestly, she she is too good for that show. Um, she should have her own show, to be honest. But, um, and you know, she's uh, Jason Taylor's sister, so that's another thing. Um, but uh, it, it's amazing how uh, outlets—I mean, you know, Reddit, uh, SB Nation—have given guys like us an opportunity to do sports. <laughs> yeah, and like, um, like uh, in my case, Reddit. Yeah. Um, you know. I was, I don't want to say, the fact that I was able to cover the Orange Bowl last year was nothing short of... Well, this year, this year. I mean, it almost, it seems like last year, but it's this year. It happened well, earlier in January, you know? It was December, actually. Oh, okay. Well, sheesh. That, <laughs> that, that was a lifetime ago now, man. That was in the before time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, time no longer has meaning these days. Um, but 
yeah, so it's it's awesome that you have these non-traditional outlets. Uh, you know, as as much as social media has been maligned for giving voices to crazy people yes. um, and things like that, at the same time, it's giving voices to people who have truly good insight that otherwise wouldn't have right. had, had a way to get out there. It's, it's, you know, and I posted, I think something today about that, um, or, or yesterday where, uh, I think Colin Coward was making some inane comment about the heat before the season started that they don't have shooters and things like that. And Jimmy Butler sucks. And it's like, uh, and I'm like, how do these people have jobs? I don't understand how people can suck at their jobs and still get, continue to be not only, uh, paid for it, but put on the highest of platforms in the sports media world. But, uh, and, and so I, I, I tell people, and this is why I, I, this is why this show on our podcast description, it's sports talk, not for normies, you know, uh, it's it, you know, because, because normies watch, ESPN. They watch SportsCenter. They watch the the morning first take shows. That's what they do. It's 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 garbage. It's garbage sports media. It is the McDonald's of sports media. Now I know some of y'all like McDonald's, all right. And every once in a while, you like to have a little McDonald's, but it, you know you have to eat something healthier. You know. Well, uh, let's let's be fair though. Back in our day, quote unquote. Uh, yeah, but uh, th- that was they, our day. That was. They were. Uh, in fact, you know, it's kind of funny. Were, we're saying back in our day, and we're not even that old. But yeah. Yeah, but I, not even that long ago. Like, let's say even ten years ago. Ten, e- ten even even ten years ago, they were the. Uh, the worldwide leader. They were the world, <laughs> and they and it still, meant something. Yeah, they are still the worldwide leader, but it means nothing now. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm trying to think of a very fancy restaurant. Uh, I don't I, know the Russian Tea Room up in New York. Right. My my, my point was, <laughs> my point was, um, going to this these different platforms. I reference like if you want your basket, you want your fair, objective basketball talk. Uh, there's this guy Andy Hoops on YouTube. He does fantastic videos. He does retrospectives. He does uh, uh, speculation about drafts and playoffs and things like that. And he does a very concise and objective uh, for He has a very concise and objective format to his videos that makes it good to watch. I, I learn things about basketball. Basketball is not my main sport. I still don't know what a one, two, three, four, or a five is. Um, <laughs> and you probably don't as well. Uh, Charles I does. Not. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to figure it out. I, I know what a pick and roll is now, but it's, um, you know, it, it's things like that. And it's because of people like that videos that are fantastic on YouTube. And I'm like, there's better quality content out there. There is um, South Florida sports media never really covers the Florida Panthers unless the the, the off chance that they actually do make the playoffs. Um, but that's every, once every five to ten years. So uh, I found Litterbox Cats when I became a fan, and then 
Next thing you know, I'm getting fanatical about it. I'm writing stuff about it. And next thing you know, they like, hey, do you want to come on to the staff? I'm like, sure. And next thing you know, I'm sitting there next to Dale Talon. <laughs> you know, and, uh, I'm sitting here walking in the press box. And who's who's coming out of the bathroom? Holy crap, it's Hockey Hall of Famer Denny Pothman. Whoa. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing experiences that we have had. And the internet has has given us with all of these different platforms a fantastic baseball youtubers uh john boy is probably one of the best stories i mean major league baseball is shouting out to him he's interviewing players now he's not on espn he's not on fox he's not on nbc or cbs or abc well that's espn anyways he <laughs> is doing his own thing uh urinating tree doing his own thing five points vids uh foolish baseball there's so many so many better outlets for your sports analysis and media consumption out there that uh, I I hope more people are looking for that rather than going to the garbage that is spewed out on national television. So just try not to be a normie, folks. All right. <laughs> just try. Just try. We get people like Eric on the show, and he's on SB Nation as well. It just, there is, and covering underdogs, you know, ESPN is never going to cover these these schools unless the off chance they do make a, a New Year's Six Bowl, like like you said, Andrew. You know, that's when all of a sudden people was like, oh, UCF? Things like that. So it's out there. Go find it. Get, look at us. You can listen to us. We can do it. The Russians love us. <laughs> so <laughs> the Russians love us. I mean, I've spoken to Russian baseball fans who are like, you know, hey, thanks for whatever. I'm like, yeah, I didn't even know you guys existed, but they do. And they're out there. So go, go find it, folks. Go find better sports media than ESPN. Imagine what well, next thing you know, 10 years from now, we're like trying to get like actual jobs with these these networks. And it's like we saw what you said 10 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was a different time back there. We didn't have holograms. Very um, true. All right, Andrew, I, I went off on a tangent there and a little bit of a rant. Um, but I think it's time since we're at the halfway point. To do a word from our non-sponsors, people, places, things, objects, what have you that you've been enjoying over the last week. We have an actual sponsor this week. I might as well do them. That's Lost Ruins, a pixel-pretty survival action Metroidvania with deep character customization and dark yet kawaii anime aesthetics. Uncover the secrets of the Lost Ruins. So you can get that. On, uh, you can probably get that on Steam. I don't even know if it's on the main consoles, but we'll see once their ad pops up again. Don't you worry about that. And I do like a good Metroid-style game. That's for sure. Um, in any case. Uh, all right. So anything for this week, Andrew? Well, you should start off since I, I started off last week. Okay. That. So... Uh, my my non-sponsor today, and it's it's apropos because of uh, a thing that I display today, and now I might just start looking for more of them. Uh, <laughs> um, so as uh, 
As some of you may or may not know, I run a uh, semi-successful now, I guess I, would, I could say it, uh, Marlins history account on Twitter, uh, at Miami Stadium, you suck, on Instagram. Um, you're not on my level, dude. So, uh, I, and over the course of these few months, I have highlighted different Marlins things, items, uh, history, tidbits, photos, what have you. It's been fun. It's been awesome. And over, I guess, the last month, I've been looking to acquire these things that I've been seeing online. And so, um, let me go on Twitter right quick. That's not what I was looking for, Google. There we go. And so, uh, today, well, not today, over the weekend, uh, I received a new item from, uh, eBay, which was a past non-sponsor, and it's my new heading, that's for sure, my new header, because it is a freaking awesome bit. It is this Dontrell Willis minifigure from McFarland Toys, and that that is just a thing of beauty. I absolutely love it. A little mini Dontrell Willis. I love Dontrell Willis. Probably one of my most favorite baseball players of all time. Definitely one of my favorite Marlins. He's up there, I don't know, top five of my favorite Marlins. But the real shout-out is to McFarlane Toys. Because they make some good stuff, Andrew. I, I agree with you. I had uh, quite a few uh, McFarlane Toys back in the day. I mean, look at this stuff. I mean, they've got uh, all kinds of licenses that they work with. You see DC Comics. You got Mortal Kombat here. Um, the DC Universe. Uh, Cyberpunk. But they also do, uh, because this is Sports Goose, they also do sports figures. Yep. So, uh, sheesh, let's, let's take a look at this. Look at all the genres that they work with here. And, and, the, and the different brands. You got you know, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, uh, Fortnite. You know, if you want you know, Damn Free Holos, Triple X69 on your Twitch account, dude. Um, but the sports figures here. And, I, I, and, you know, it sucks that I didn't know about this figure back in 2005 when it was released for, for Don Trollos. Or else I would have begged my dad to go to the ballpark uh, whenever that was uh, handed out to, to kids. Um, cause I was, uh, I don't know if they, uh, they would have handed me one. I was like 17 at the time, probably maybe and not have gotten one, but who cares? Uh, th so you got the, the figures here. You see a LeBron James figure. You got Tom Brady, um, Zeke Oli, I got James Harden at, but these figures are awesome. They're amazing. Um, I don't know what that shark is. I, I don't know how that has anything to do with sports, unless it's like a Shark Week thing or a San Jose Sharks thing. But look at their their baseball figures. There's Jose Altuve sucking at baseball. You can get one of those figures, um, <laughs> and he's been sucking at baseball <laughs> lately. Uh, so these are some of their 2019 figures, and and it's cool that they keep they they keep the back catalog here of all their stuff. Uh, so that's the NBA 2K series. You got Madden series here. Uh, another NBA series. But we can go back in time. How far back in time do you want to go, Andrew? I 
Let's see. And this goes all the way back to 2001. I mean, that's probably around when I got my my first one. It was a uh, Padre Rodriguez. Uh, Texas Rangers. Yep. Okay. Let's see what they've got here. Oh, they got some look at these NHL figures right here. Look at that. Oh, and of course uh, Todd McFarlane. I don't know if you know this, but do you remember the Edmonton Oilers? Uh, yeah, Met- he created that. It was the the Metallica or comedy. Right. So he's he's from Edmonton. He's an Oilers fan. And so it makes sense that his company, of course, he's uh, the creator of Spawn. Right. Uh, but he's also uh, got this company that just pumps out these fantastic figures. These are high quality, too. This is not. And that was what was surprising to me about the Dontrell figure. I thought it would be a little cheap, but it is a legitimately fantastic detailed figure and they just handed those out to free to fa- for free to fans so you got the nfl figures here you got a little mark brunel a marshall falk you got a dante culpepper you got a warren sap here i mean this is this is a trip down memory lane here let's see 2003 i want to see what what's uh what's gone down here oh, gosh uh you got oh look at these look i got a um I got a Ben Wallace, uh, frickin' Chris Weber. Gosh, uh, is that Eddie Jones? Wow, they made one of those. <laughs> okay, I think this is a Troy Gloss. You got uh, Scott Rowland here. These are these are some great figures. Sammy Sosa, Luis Gonzalez. I mean, this is this is our childhood. These are yeah. players from our childhood. You know, uh, Eric Gagne here. Uh, this might be Miguel Tejada, Pat Burrow, Tory Hunter. Look at that, Trevor Hoffman, Lance Berkman, Ichiro. Look at that, Patrick. They got Patrick Waugh in his. Uh, uh, I think in both his Montreal and Colorado, and Amario Lemieux. Look at that. And those are. Oh, look at that, uh, uh, Vinny LeCavalier too. Look at that. In the uniforms that you love, Andrew. I love those so much. I wish... Listen, I get it. That old logo is a bit 90s. I get that. But that uniform set is classic. Let's be honest. It's modern yet classic, and I would die in a good way if they brought that back. Oh, yeah. Let's see what else they got here. Look at this. Oh, and there's the Oilers, the aforementioned Oilers um, uniform there. Yep. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, there's plenty of guys. There's a Michael Vick, uh, Ricky Williams. Oh, man. These are all just great. Ah, I'm sorry. This is a bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm just having fun looking at these figures. And there are a few Marlins ones out there that I might be acquiring depending on my budget because now i have the budget for this stuff to be honest <laughs> uh, i think i'm gonna allocate maybe like a hundred dollars a month to this but oh. I, I, I probably not won't you know reach that mark because i, I try to get things on the cheap uh 
especially on eBay, especially if I can nab them quickly before other people find out about this. Um, and people have, people have, they, they're, they're starting to collect this stuff too, or bring this stuff out of their, their, uh, their attics and their closets from back home. So mm-hmm. this is cool. All right. Enough of that. I've, I've gone sure. on way too long. Uh, promo code, uh, oh, gosh, uh, the better McFarland. No, that's like McFarland's not that bad either. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't even know. Just, uh. Nostalgia. There, that's an easy one. All right. My non-sponsor is the the corporate behemoth that is Mikey. <laughs> they and if they need our sponsorship. That's for sure. They need our, our our endorsement. <laughs> They're now, struggling. Before, yeah. So bad right now. Um, before you search for Nike specifically. Okay. I want to pull up the the hat that I bought. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, well, um, where? Here, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Where, where did you buy it from? I, I can just search for it. Well, I. It's. Uh, did you get it from Lids or? No, it was. Uh, Fanatics. Um. It's ucf.shoptruespirit.com. All right. Let's see. Uh, there it is. All right. Cool beans. Let's go down this rabbit hole. And I would assume it's under the hats category. You would be correct. And there it is. Front and center. All righty. So for those who don't know... That wonderful creature on the on the hat there is the Citronaut, who is the unofficial first mascot of UCF back in 1968, and has made a resurgence in the past. Uh, we'll call it five six years, um, as being a secondary mascot for UCF, uh, behind Knights and Nitro, of course. Um, they've done a few Citronaut-themed uniforms, um, things like that. Um, but anyway, so that is a killer hat. I love it. I've gotten onto a bit of a, uh, a hat kick recently. Oh, I love those. <laughs> and uh, this one is no exception. The reason why it's blue like that, uh, for those wondering, because you would probably you would probably know that it's black and gold or UCF's colors, um, but UCF has introduced kind of a, a space themed a space themed right, um, and the color that they use for it is called uh, Canaveral blue. Um, you know, kind of like a galaxy, spacey type color, which is kind of like Columbia blue, uh, but it's I guess it's technically it's a little more it's a little more muted, right? So kind of there's like a bit of a grayish tone to added to it, right? So that is that is Citronaut, that is Canaveral blue. I love the hat. Um, I haven't worn it much because I wet insanely a lot um, and I don't want to ruin the hat 
Um, but I did wear it the other day uh, when I went out and met you. That's uh, right. But I, I did take it off after a little bit because you again, wanted to protect it. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. No, I have. Uh, let's see. I have a set of hats that I know I don't want to get all sweaty. Uh, and I do, I mean, I have a Marlins batting practice one, but that one's made to soak up the sweat, so I don't mind getting sure. that one sweaty. You know? Yeah. Um, I do like, and I'll say this, because I, it, the Miami Heat did that too with their Vice uniform set. I kind of like the idea of a team having an alternate color set in a, in a way. Almost like I a... Almost like a secret identity in a way. It's like they're, yeah, they're... use it sparingly. Yeah, like and you know, in... don't don't use it all the time. Well, the, but... heat, the heat use it all the time because it is a freaking a smash hit of a of a of a look. But it's it's pretty cool to see teams that just uh, like that they're, they're just different for it's like an alternate universe version of the team. Like, what if things had gone this way? Um, and especially so for UCF because the Citronaut was it was never an official mascot, but it was a mascot in a sense. So, you know, in some alternate universe, they would have said, you know what, the Citronaut guy is pretty good. Let's keep him as our athletics mascot. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Uh, so, is your non-sponsor this store or Nike itself? Uh, I guess it's a little bit of both because this store... I mean, they've got all kinds of stuff here. They produce it. That's their official uh, online store. Right. But at the same time, it was Nike who made it. Right. So, it's, it's a little bit of both. So, it's like a dual non-sponsorship. Um, promo code um, I'm borrowing this from someone who is on Twitter uh, Citronaughty mm. okay kinky <laughs> alright so we've got the UCF online store slash Nike and McFarland toys awesome I, I like these uh, uh Hmm. Should we have an extra one just for Charles, like a makeup one? I don't sure. have anything else. Um, hmm. I'm looking around my room. <laughs> what do I like in my room? Well, uh, I have, I have a quasi non-sponsor. Okay. It's, it's more of a shout out than anything. Um, and that would be to Zach Boychuk. Ah, yes. Okay. Uh, Zach Boychuk is a professional hockey player currently with, and I am going to butcher this for sure, um, plays for HC Freiburg, Freiburg Götterön okay. in the National League, not baseball, the National League in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the top tier of their hockey. Uh, follows me on Twitter. And he has he follows lot, us on Twitter, and he follows us on Twitter now. That's right. Uh, he's followed me for a bit. I don't know when he started following us, but um, it's 
high time that we give him a well-deserved shout-out. Yep. Yeah, there uh, he is. Drafted by the Hurricanes in the first round back in 2008. 14th overall pick from Airdrie, Alberta. Born October 4th, 1989. He's a setter. He shoots lefty. 5'10". 185 pounds. Played for the Canes from... 2008 to 2015. Uh, spent a little bit of time uh, with uh, in between that with Pittsburgh and Nashville. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I, I, I missed that. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then he's no. kind of globe-trotted for the past few seasons. Yeah. yeah, he's mainly in the Canes minor leagues, the AHL, the Charlotte Checkers. Uh, then he went to Bakersfield and yeah, played a few seasons in the KHL and has made his way on to Switzerland at the moment. So, and, uh, let's see, played in the world juniors under 20 team, 2008 and 2009. So there you go. Won the Willie Marshall award 2013-14. Okay. So Zach Boychuk, a semi- or I will just say a non-sponsor. Why not? Let's okay. do it. All right, so let's uh, let's get back to main portion of our program. I'm going to look up at the sports crawl to see what thing is going down. I've got some games on the screen here. On the bottom right, we got the Marlins versus the Mets out at City Field in New York, and we've got the the Orioles against the Rays at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg. Uh, on the main portion of the screen, we got uh, NCAA 11 once more. A really random matchup. We've got North Texas versus Harvard at the Metrodome. <laughs> the power of hitting random. I <laughs> was the was the stadium random as well. I yeah I, yeah I wanted a random stadium. <laughs> And it just picked the Metrodome. I'm like, oh, awesome. <laughs> Ooh, question from Freddie. Hi, Freddie. I hope you're doing well. Um, I did my, have the chat up earlier, so that's why I was, quote, unquote, ignoring you. Um, talk about random. <laughs> yeah. um, Freddie asks, are the Marlins making the playoffs? All right. So I guess we can segue this into our baseball talk because the Fish are up 4 nothing against the Mets at the moment. And they are keeping their heads above 500 right now after a a hot start after the COVID outbreak. And, uh, well, they've come back down to earth. But we do have reinforcements. We have a majority of our um, sideline players back at the alternate site in Jupiter. And I would assume they're going to rejoin the team when the Marlins come back home this weekend to face off against those dreaded guys from St. Petersburg. Um, listen, uh, and I think we've talked about this before. Uh, I've talked about it with my brother-in-law over this weekend, who uh, Mississippi State alum and had a fantastic birthday cake. Um, ah, shoot, I should have put it on the freaking screen. Um, uh, may, might be a way for me to get that. I'll look for it uh, when Andrew starts talking. Because, Andrew, it was a pretty epic cake. It was an epic cake. Yeah. 
Not um, gonna lie. Yeah. So I'll look for that while I while I yap on. But look, they there's a chance with the expanded playoffs in baseball this season that a team without a winning record will make the playoffs. There's a strong chance. I mean, the National League itself is not there's other than I guess the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, there's really nobody else that's running away with anything else. Uh, we've had some good starts from the Dodgers, uh, the Atlanta Braves, uh, when they've got um, Ronald Acuna back, so I would assume they're going to start heating up. The Chicago Cubs have done well early on. And uh, the San Diego Padres, uh, or Slam Diego, as they call themselves now, uh, <laughs> um They've had a great start. Manny Machado was the player of the week last week. So there's good teams out there. But right now, if the playoffs were to start today, and we've posted about this in our on our group chat, uh, it'd be the Braves, the Cubs, and the Dodgers as the division leaders. So that's three. Then you have the next, the second best team in each division will go. So that includes the Marlins, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the San Diego Padres. The Cardinals are only two games above 500. The Marlins are one. Hopefully they win tonight. They'll be two. And so that's that's your sixth team. And then the next best teams are the wild cards after that. So at this point, that's... Sheesh. That would be the Colorado Rockies, who are one game under 500, and the San Francisco Giants, who are two games under 500. There's a, it's there's a high chance a team that just would not even be in this race in a normal year is going to make the playoffs, so that gives the Marlins a chance. Right now, I am hoping beyond all hope that they can just keep themselves at 500 or just slightly above because that would be just enough to make the playoffs in this 60 game sprint, uh, and it's it's incredibly doable. And hopefully the reinforcements will help them just get over the top just enough. Um, and yeah, yeah. Now there's um, there's playoff odds that are showing the Marlins have this slight chance to make it. It's not an easy, it's a not an easy task. They're in the National League East, and they're facing off against the American League East. The Rays are good. The Yankees are good. Uh, and and there's been surprising play out of Toronto and Baltimore. Uh, the National League East is just, I mean, other than Atlanta, I would say. Even then, they're not, once again, they're not world beaters for now. Teams are just beating up on each other. So one team loses, then the other team wins, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's back and forth, back and forth. The Marlins played five games against the Nationals and won three of them. So it's it's incredibly close at this point and there's a chance for the first time since i don't know 2009 there's a chance the marlins could make the playoffs uh, they just have to just hang on and i ache in this i i made a comparison on twitter this feels like the 2011 2012 florida panthers because that team they won their division they barely made the playoffs but a lot of factors went in. Their division, which at the time was the Southeast Division, had an underperforming Washington Capitals. 
the Winnipeg Jets in their first season uh, outside of Atlanta. Uh, and and so they were in the Eastern Conference and had a just ridiculous travel schedule. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, who were basically leveling off from their, their playoff runs and were just starting to become mediocre. And, um, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, who just weren't as good as they were the season prior when they made the Eastern Conference Final. So there was some, there was just that inkling of a chance. The Panthers went off to a hot start and they just needed to basically play 500 hockey to make the playoffs. And the Marlins kind of did the same thing. They were great for that first week and a half of the season. Well, uh, week first, first weekend, then the COVID outbreak, then the next week and a half when they came back, they were great. And that start has given them just enough to kind of keep themselves above water. So just keep that 500 or just one or two games above and they'll make it. They will make it. So it's, it's, it's doable, Andrew. It's really is doable. I mean, your team is not going to have a problem making the playoffs. I think the Rays will be, they will either win that division or they will just be the second team. They won't have to worry about getting that wild card spot at the end. Uh, they're a very solid ball club, and uh, nothing much has changed. The Red Sox suck, so that helps <laughs> you guys too. You guys have a lot of games where you can just beat up on this tanking Red Sox team now. So that that's my that's my thoughts on the fish. I mean, I'm just hoping above all hope. I'm not trying to get too high, not trying to get too low, you know. Um, so. I don't know if you want to talk more about baseball, Andrew, because I want to talk about hockey. Let's talk some hockey. All right. So, uh, uh, I forget what the exact quote is, but let's do that hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From uh, from SNL. Yep. Okay. So, uh, I've got the Lightning Bruins game on my phone right now, so I'm watching and that at the same I, time. I have, uh, uh, thanks to a friend of mine, I have a desktop with desktop computer, so I've got. Uh, my Sports Goose command center up on one screen Ooh. and then I have the game on uh, on my laptop, so Great. life is good. Okay, fantastic. Um, as I say, hockey, say hockey, hockey. Yeah, let's go. do that hockey. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, BU, I want you to chime in as well because, well, for one thing, I hate you right now because you're a Boston fan. <laughs> um, and then second off, uh, you know, you know hockey. And then, Freddie, if you have anything to chime in with as well, by all means. So uh, it's one-to-one -one right now. It's a close game. This is going to be a close series. It is. The, li the Lightning have to win this game. Uh, I, I, I know, you know, teams come back from 2-0 down and stuff like that in hockey all the time. And, of course, we're in the bubble. There's no really – there's not much of a home advantage at all here aside from the starting lineups uh, before the game uh, happens. But um, – and, of course, where the benches are. Um, they have to win this game. They really do. I, it's, it's imperative to win this game. Uh, game one – uh, they let Pasternak, Boston's, you know, arguably his best, their best player, basically. They let him run wild. He had like like ten shots on goal, and the Lightning weren't as rough on him. 
in the first game and they're they need to keep that tenacity that kind of um uh rough and tumble style of play that they had against columbus and bring that against the bruins because you can't you can't give that guy space you just can't he's gonna kill you with 10 shots on net and he's gonna kill you at some point so you can't do that um you know, uh, it, and so it's I, this is why I hate I hate predicting hockey. It sucks predicting hockey because next thing you know, you are completely wrong with every single thing you predicted. Um, Vegas, as far as the other series, and we can go back to Lightning later. Um, that might be the one series that I can't predict because the Knights really handed it to the Canucks in in game one. So the Canucks have a lot of problems. They're not ready yet. And I told you guys before, the Canucks are the one Canadian team that I wouldn't mind seeing win the Stanley Cup. Uh, they're the one Canadian team I wouldn't mind seeing win the Stanley Cup because I like the makeup of their team. Um, I, I love the young guns they got. They've got there. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is their goalie. He's a former Panther. I do have some um, um, sentimental feelings about him when he was here. I think he got a a raw deal when they kind of just threw him to the Wolves when he was very young with the Cats and basically put him as the goalie of the future. But he just wasn't ready yet. Uh, right. Of course, he was the trade piece that got us Luongo back, which was great for us. Fantastic. He retired here. It's the way it should have been anyways. But uh, I, I like the Canucks, but they're just not ready yet. They've got too many problems. It's really surprising that they're here in the first place, and it's going to be great for their future. So they'll probably they might eke out one victory, but Vegas is just better. Uh, Robin Lehner should be the goalie. I don't care what Marc Andre Fleury's <laughs> uh, agent tweets out. I mean, he's just playing better. And you know, I talked to my brother-in-law, and look, we're we're all Fleury fans here, okay? Andrew, you're a Fleury fan. I mean, you love goalies in general. Um, but Fleury is just a good dude. Good goalie, good dude. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's a great guy. I mean, just the first season in Vegas, I think, was just enough for him to get his number retired there. <laughs> I am I might be overstating that, but I do feel five years from now, whenever he retires, they're going to hang a 29 up there, especially if they win the Stanley Cup this year. It's just going to go up. Uh, it's going to go up in Pittsburgh. It's going to go up in Vegas. But... Um, and, you know, I actually, while we're talking about Flurry, yeah. uh, just a quick aside, um, we I had brought this up to you. Um, I forget when, but I did bring it up to you. The For those who don't know, Cooperstown, that's the Baseball Hall of Fame, um, players wear caps, and the cap has a team's logo on it. Um, oh. Usually, there are some players who choose to have no cap. Um, but I have usually, 
Uh, sorry, I have a let's haul y'all that specifically talks about this, but keep going. Okay. Um, wow, close game between Harvard and UNT. <laughs> And yeah. they just threw an interception inside of in their own zone. So <laughs> you jinxed <pretty> it. <laughs> um, anywho, so hockey doesn't do that. But I was curious. I know we discussed it, but I'm curious to get other takes on it. Does Flurry go in as a Golden Knight, or does he go in as a as a Penguin? So. Uh, let's, I guess, let's assume that he does get a, a Stanley Cup in, in Vegas. Because if he doesn't, then there's no point in asking because he won, what, two? Yes. Two cups? Um, so right now the odds have to go in that favor. But let's say he does win one cup, and that's it, just one cup. Three. Or even let's say two cups. He wins cups in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Does he go in as a knight, or does he go in as a pen? So, I guess I'll answer this question by relaying the, the discussion I had with my brother-in-law. He's a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Uh, been a Pens fan since, basically since Yager got there when he was a little kid. Um, uh, Yager's his favorite player of all time. And of course, he he loves the pens. He follows them and stuff. And um, I, for me personally, with a cup, I think it would be nice uh, to have him go in as a Golden Knight, just to have that representation in the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's, it's always nice to have one representative. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero went in as an Anaheim Angel. Uh, for his, even though most people, he had great years in Anaheim, won MVP and all that stuff. Um, but I would say most people associated him with Montreal. Um, but of course, the Expos don't exist anymore, and they've already got um, Audrey Dawson and Gary Carter, and I think Tim Raines in there as Hall of Famers. But I, I could make a case for for Flurry as a Golden Knight. It's it's a little hard though, especially if they win this cup the way that Laner's playing. Because in a way, it's not him. It's almost like when Murray took over the job in Pittsburgh. Right. Flurry was the backup. It wasn't really him. So it's it's a hard thing to to discuss. But as far as Flurry and his agent was concerned, I mean, my my brother in law put it bluntly. Flurry's a very very good regular season goalie. Very good. But look, the Pens, for a lot of those years that they were just making the playoffs and things like that, um, after 2009, after they finally uh, get that first cup with Crosby and crew, the Pens would be out of the out of the playoffs in the first or the second round. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with Flurry's play. He wasn't as sharp in the playoffs as he was in the regular season. That could be a number of factors. Could be Blysma and his systems. Could be uh, just fatigue over the long season because he, he does play a lot. But Flurry has, has, and it's 2-2, 
between the the Lightning and the Bruins. Um, Florida... Yeah, I I'm a couple of seconds away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you you saw that. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. I. Uh... Yeah, that that sucked. It was a, a power play that Boston had, and I'm glad that we're keeping this close. When they score, we respond. Yeah, we just need to score, and instead of having to respond, we have to score on our own initiative. So, Flurry, but I, I like what I'm seeing. So, so Flurry, um, so Flurry had had that stigma for a while of just good regular season couldn't do it again in the playoffs and my brother-in-law even said that he's gonna get he's gonna be a hockey hall of famer <laughs> tampa should try this thing called defense <laughs> be you ah love it and not leave a player open right next to the net yeah that also works too the panthers love doing that though um flurry had uh flurry's a great guy he's a nice dude and my brother-in-law's like He's going to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's a, he's he's amassing numbers, much like Roberto Luongo did. Um, of course, Luongo, I think Luongo was a better goaltender anyways, just by the virtue of the fact that he just played on so many bad teams with the Panthers. It's amazing. They, <laughs> they wasted his career. The Panthers wasted Luongo's career, but that's a whole different thing. Um, so Fleury is going to get to Hockey Hall of Fame. He's a good guy. He'll be known as a Pittsburgh Penguin. But he's... You're not going to look at him in the same regards as other goalies with multiple cups. All right? So you won't look at him the same way you see... Um, gosh, who has multiple cups? Chris Osgood? Um, uh, who else is out there? I'm definitely not one of those dynasty guys, but uh, just guys that have won multiple. You're not going to look at him in the same light. He's not up there with Patrick Waugh, Martin Berdour, think guys like that. He's just not. Um, but yeah, so that's my, that's my talk on Flory and his agent. Really, just keep your mouth shut, dude. Especially <laughs> now, especially now, because Flory's at the end of his career. This is this is the end. So. I, I feel bad for Flurry because uh, his agent put him in a really bad spot. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess that your agent is supposed to be your biggest advocate um, and do what's best for you to you know further your career, but posting a picture of a sword stabbing you in the back is right. not good. That's... And, yeah, that's that's really, really graphic too <laughs> for an agent to put out there. Uh, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make uh, any sense, especially in a playoff run. Like you could talk about it afterwards. They might win the, like I said, they might win the cup. They might win the cup, and Flurry probably w- wouldn't even have any qualms about it. Look, it's the playoffs. I don't care. I really don't care. Uh, I also don't see how that helps. Like, yeah, the BU had the the same. It's yeah, that's not going to change the mind of Peter DeBoer. It's just not. 
it's he's not gonna if Robin Lehner is standing on his head and getting the knights he didn't have to uh, with a five nothing lead but um, standing on his head to get the Golden Knights the Stanley Cup championship Flurry's is gonna ride the pine and collect his next ring just like he did with with Murray and I don't know he can go he'll find a job somewhere he he'll some team will will try and I don't know. Um, try and do a freaking Dwayne Rollison type of season where he's like 40 years old and getting the Lightning to the Eastern Conference Finals. Who knows? Or just let him ride it out. Maybe he has that one-day contract to retire as a Penguin. And you get your Hall of Fame career over with. That's it. Done. No need for this drama. But he brought it upon the Knights. It probably won't affect them at all. They're just, I mean... Unless Laner has a just sucks or gets injured, we're not going to see Flurry, and that's the way it should be. So, and objectively, he would probably say the same thing because hockey players they tend to be more humble and realistic and stuff. Come on, I know they want to be out there, but um, oh, sheesh, that was a bit of a tangent there. Well, not a tangent; it was on topic. Um, but yeah, your Bolts beat the Blue Jackets last round. The Flyers beat Montreal in uh, in round one. But man, the New York Islanders, man, there's something magical going on with Barry Trotz here. He's figured it out now that he finally got over the hump with the Capitals. He's figured it out. Uh, urinating Tree had a great congratulations for the yeah. Capitals. Did you see it? I of course I did. <laughs> the steamed hams, steamed clams, whatever. Simpsons. Oh man, great, fantastic! I love them. Um, but the 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 Islanders just play great hockey. I mean, I saw they completely overmatched the Panthers. Uh, they are a well structured team, just fantastically coached through and through. Um. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier has been their hot player this playoffs. There's always one. There's always a guy that uh, may not be the best guy on your team. It's not Barzell, but gosh darn it, man. There's some guys that just, as soon as playoff time hits, they just go. The Marlins won. So that's uh, another victory for the fish. Go fish. Uh, Semyon Varlamov uh, has been solid as well. So, and and Grice behind him is also a pretty solid goaltender too. The Islanders have something going, and I like it. I really do. They're the other New York team, and I like Barry Trotz as a coach. He's always done well, whether it's with the Predators or or the Capitals or or, or here now in New York. And and uh, man, you you. <laughs> I, I, I kind of look back. I'm like, how did the Capitals not re-sign Barry Trotz? I, I don't get how that happened where you don't bring him back. Usually that happens. Usually you bring back your Stanley Cup winning coach the next season. But they kind of parted their ways. I don't know if there was something internally there. But is what it is. And he's having success in, in Long Island. So, um, uh, Andrew, uh, you're, you're a little te- teed off here with the with the game. I, uh, um. Uh, I, I don't know who's worse, 
uh, NHL refs or Major League Baseball umpires this season. Because, <laughs> oh, I, I might as well. I mean. Well, let me, I, I know I said this in the comments, but yeah. Francisco, you know me. I am not one of those guys that, you know. Right. That blames everything on the yeah. on the officials. You've known me for long enough. I, you know, like I was like, that's uh, it's a an iffy call. I can see why they called it, um, but in this game, they're missing so much. They're missing so many calls that would go against Boston. It's the playoffs. Like, I mean, like they, just they swallow whistles. Like no 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 no. Here's the thing though. They're not swallowing their whistles. They're swallowing their whistles against Boston, and they're calling everything on us. Uh. Like for instance, just before the call on Headman for the penalty, one of our guys got the stick slashed out of his hand, mm-hmm. and that wasn't called. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, dude. I, we we've all been there. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're gonna call stuff, make it even. Yeah, look. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Oh no, but I mean, this kind of segues us into Gottlieb's goons because we got okay. some goons. Um, and I want to do all of our segments because I got everything ready to go here, and we've been doing long shows since our 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 season four return. Yeah. Um, and you're not studying for the bar right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that was you got your your grievances out last last week, um. So we got goons. I guess we could talk about the umpires in baseball, because I don't know what's going on, man. I don't know. It might. I don't know if they're just out of practice. I know a lot of umpires chose not to um, work this season due to the virus, but. They're not, they're not, they're not good this season. <laughs> like it's noticeably bad. And look, um, Craig Mish, uh, fantastic follow on, on Twitter. If you want to just fall, if you follow baseball, especially the Marlins, um, he's harped on like, look, it's not just the Marlins that are experiencing bad umpiring. It's other teams in the league. Because he's, you know, he's uh, he's on national radio and things like that, um, and he's now he's on MLB Network. But it, it, these calls have been awful. I've seen, and look, Andrew, you're an umpire. <laughs> There's calls, uh, strikes that are six inches off the plate, either too low below your knees or too high above your chest two inside and it's egregious because look it's one thing that okay you're calling the outside corner six inches off the plate but you're doing it the all game you're doing it for both sides so in a sense it's a little fair it's still wrong but it's fair in a sense in in some sort of weird way right and you know that kind of goes to what i'm saying if you're going to call bad if you're going to miss calls (laughs) at least be consistent for both teams (laughs) exactly and be consistent about it. But it, I've seen just some of the worst things. 
uh, I mean, Don Mattingly got thrown out finally after several just days upon days of just awful calls. And and we have the benefit of technology, seeing the, the, the screens here and there's balls and strikes and we can see the, the strike zone. It is, it is egregious. It is egregious, some of these calls that I've seen. And it's it's happened so often that I have to call out the umpires, the, the, the umpires association, the union uh, of Major League Baseball, because what are you guys doing? You have to get good at your jobs because Major League Baseball wants to replace the home plate umpire. They were supposed to institute the automated umpire in the Florida State League this year. Of course, that got canceled out. But it's getting there. We're going to get to that point, and I hope it does. You would think that the umpires would be striving to tell their guys, look, guys, you're going to have to get good, like, quickly. (laughs) Even the replacement guys that they brought in, like, you're going to screw it for the rest of us. We're going to lose jobs. One less umpire. Uh, let's say there's 15 games uh, during a, a full day, and that's 15 more guys that they're going to lose, or 15 less guys that are going to be working without a job because of an automated umpire. So if you want to prevent that from happening sooner rather than later, they need to get good. And it, it, it I mean, that's why they're goons. I mean, they, they really need to fix it. I don't know how. I don't know how how you can beat it in. I don't know what LASIK surgery is out there. I don't know if some of these guys have astigmatism. I have no idea. All right, some glaucoma, give them a little doobie. I have no idea. (laughs) Um, But they need to get better because, look, a lot of people don't watch regular season baseball, but people do watch it in the playoffs, and there's going to be more teams in the playoffs, and there's going to be more eyeballs on what the heck is going on. And they can't have that. They cannot have that going during the playoffs. I know the Marlins benefited from it in Game Five of the '97 NLCS, <laughs> but we can't have that happening again. So they're my goons. Uh, one of my goons for this week. But Andrew, we've talked about another goon before. Uh, who was this? Uh, uh, which one do we start with? Tom Brenneman or Mike Mulberry? Which one? Uh, Tom Brenneman is easy. Tom Brenneman's easy. He uh, he said a very bad thing. Uh, we will we will not repeat it here either. In it's definitely not in in its entirety. Um, but yes. we won't we won't look. It's, it's it's big enough news that you can find out what he said. Right. Look. For both of these guys, I get there's a a faction of people that are against all of cancel culture. And I get it. Sometimes uh, cancel culture, quote unquote, can can jump to conclusions quicker without stepping back and looking at things. I get that. Um, but Brenneman's... Uh, the what he said and the way he said it has no place in the game of baseball in 2020, especially for a sport that is desperate to retain the fans that they have and to gain new ones because of uh, years of bad marketing 
And Rob Manfred sucking at his job. <laughs> okay. And 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 not marketing their their superstars well. And you can't advocate for diversity and having uh, pride nights and things like that at these ballparks at a Cincinnati Reds game if you have that guy still in the booth. Right. It is something that he learned from his father because I looked that up too and I posted it on Twitter. That is something that is just ingrained in them. And that's just the way some people from this era, he's 56 years old, he is a boomer. Um, from this era, some people grew up like that. Some people grew up like that and just the way that they were raised. And it's hard to beat that out of somebody, but maybe he will change. He's still got his life ahead of him. Uh, he can probably change. But Brenneman, you're going to have to sit back and, you know, work your way back and uh, try and be a better human being, all right? So that's one. Mike Milbury. <laughs> okay. Another idiot. Uh, now, with regards to Mike Milbury and his comment about players getting distracted by women, um, or not being distracted because they're in the bubble, and so they don't have their, they don't, they don't have, they're not, you know, bachelors out there skirt chasing, or they don't have their, their wives and their girlfriends holding them back or what have you. He, I know his intention was for it to be kind of a jokey type of thing. And it is boomer humor. And boomer humor tends to be not very funny. And usually, and usually is within the category of, I don't understand technology. <laughs> These kids nowadays. And I hate my wife. <laughs> That tends to be boomer humor. Yeah. And so um, he said this, uh, this statement, uh, and he said something earlier about it kind of being like a college women's hockey game when there were nobody in the seats. So he said this stuff already in the bubble. But Andrew, it's... Yeah, I'm trying to collect my thoughts, but you can chime in here when you want. Uh, I just, (laughs) I mean, this is always inexcusable stuff like this, but I get that it was more culturally accepted a while ago. But you're an idiot if you don't see the writing on the wall here. And that was even poor, poor choice of phrasing. I don't. I don't mean writing on the wall with like, uh, you know, cancel. It's it's good that we are finally getting around to calling this stuff out. It's taken far too long, but as reprehensible as it is to say this stuff, it's obvious that there is a not insignificant portion of the country that believes this. So it's idiotic for them to either not know that this is happening or to say, or to just go on air, or 
to know that it's happening and say it and then expecting to get away with it. Not now. Yeah. Look, I... The cancel culture thing, once again, I said it. Sometimes people can overreact. Some people jump to conclusions too quickly. They don't look at things objectively and... Uh, or take things out of context. <laughs> Mike Bilberry has sucked at his job for more than a decade. <laughs> that is true. I, I've told people this. Look, take away what Milbury's this statement by Mike Milbury. Take just forget about that. He is. Um, Bu has a comment here, and that's turns that if you actually watch women's college hockey games, there's people in the stands. It's not packed to the gills like it would be at a men's game, but the attendance is not literally zero, and plenty of places have decent atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, shit, freaking. Um, one of the best hockey games I've ever seen was the uh, USA-Canada final from the 2014 Olympics. That was amazing. I was freaking pissed off that the U.S. lost that game. <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's hockey, man. It's, it's awesome. Not only is Mike Mowbray talking out of his ass on that one, while there is certainly an issue with games being poorly attended, he's obviously not addressing it in an intellectually honest manner. Right. So, um, but Mike Mowbray sucks at his job. He's not a great hockey analyst. He's not. He's not. He's said some horrible things. Um, and he, he makes... I know he tries to do it to kind of be funny or try and be a personality or what have you. It's, he's just not that guy. He's just not. New York Islanders fans definitely hate him. <laughs> um, um, probably orchestrating one of the worst trades in hockey history. Um, when he... Uh, he gave up Roberto Luongo and Ole Jokinen for I forgot who he who he sent who he sent uh, who he who he traded for from Florida, but regardless, uh, he he got a fan, he he traded away a fantastic goal scorer and a hockey Hall of Famer for to uh, and, and and then the whole Rick DiPietro disaster. Mm. Which is a different story aside, and we have already talked about it in the past, Andrew, at length too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which unfortunate for Deep Pietro, but the man earned some money—that's for sure. <laughs> um, Definitely, and I know it's not his fault to get injured like that, but he made bank. Yeah, he's he's set for life. Don't worry. Um, but Milbury just sucks at his job. He just sucks at his job. I mean, NBC Sports. I've, and this is why they're probably a goon as well. They also need to do better with their hockey coverage. Uh, they have the U.S. national contract, and they're not even that great at it. They have some good guys on here. Uh, Anton Carter is not bad. He was in the league for quite a while. Uh, they have Patrick Sharp on there as well. Uh, Keith Jones, who's always paired with Milbury. Look, I have nothing bad against Keith Jones, uh, but. Man, I see Milbury, and I just want to strangle him. <laughs> just, it's like mad. I just want to punch him in the face. Um, he played for the Bruins, so that also kind of doesn't help. <laughs> Sorry, BU. Um, but look, uh, and it's funny. He stepped aside because he didn't want to be a distraction right now. So that's kind of ironic in a way. I mean, maybe he'll get better, but NBC... And and I, I don't know who runs the social media. I don't know who's in charge of the NHL and NBC. But 
these guys have to know that we've we hate Mike Mowbray. A lot of us hate Pierre Maguire, even though I I really I mean Pierre Maguire is just kind of annoying, really. <laughs> he's just annoying more than anything else. Uh, he's just not. Uh, he's just not. Uh, and yeah, you, you think he should be fired as well? He just sucks. Mike Mowbray just sucks. That's it. So he's he's a good. He's a good as well. All right, Andrew. A little yes, more up, up, uplifting talk here. Let's haul y'all. And I, I said on our group chat, I would do you and Charles proud today. Let's do this. All righty. So uh, my Hall of Famer that I'm going to highlight today is none other than uh, uh, MLB Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Famer, Wade Boggs. Ooh. Okay. Wade Boggs, baby. Oh, he's he's a fun one. He's a really fun one just because of uh, not only the player that he was, but just like the legends that surround him and even the people that he hung out with in his life. Uh, so Wade Boggs made it into the Hall of Fame in 2005, played for three teams in his career, the Boston Red Sox, which he went in as uh, in the Hall of Fame. The New York Yankees, and he won the 96 World Series with them. And he finished his career in uh, Tampa Bay with the, the Devil Rays. Uh, First where... player to make uh, that his 3,000th hit was a home run, and they still, I've seen the seat where it landed. Yeah, yeah. So um, he has his number retired in Tampa and in Boston. Uh, so I uh, played primarily third base. Went to high school in Tampa Bay. Uh, I think he was from a military family, but they finally settled in Tampa. So that's what he—that's where he considers home. Um, uh, so uh, uh, drafted in 1976, seventh round. So you can see, look, man, baseball—it's—it's it's always a toss-up. You can have Hall of Famers in the in the in the late rounds all the time. Um, I mean, look at uh, Brady. Yeah, yeah, well, Tom Brady. I'm just there's so many examples of that. Uh, once again, yeah, you already stated 3,000 hit was the first one with the home run. Uh, Twelve-time All-Star, two Gold Gloves, eight Silver Sluggers, five batting titles, uh, a career 300 hitter. Uh, he actually he was a fantastic place kicker and punter, and he had a scholarship offer from South Carolina when he was in high school. Huh. Yeah, uh, but and the reason he played kicker because I think he was a QB at one point, but he played kicker so that he wouldn't get injured because he was just really good at baseball and he didn't want to you know lose that. Um, he played in what is the longest ba- pro professional baseball game in history in 1981. I remember that. Well, I don't remember. <laughs> I know of it. I don't obviously remember. <laughs> I'm like, it. Mm, okay. <laughs> so this was played between the Rochester Red Wings and the Pawtucket Red Sox in Pawtucket, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, if I remember correctly, there was another Hall of Famer that played in that game. Right. Rochester had Cal Ripken Jr. because they were an Orioles uh, farm team. And, of course, Pawtucket had uh, Wade Boggs. Pawtucket won in 33 innings, an 8-hour and 25-minute game. That finished in a three to two score, so that was the longest professional baseball game in history for now. 
Um, and you thought that the uh, game one of the uh, Lightning Blue Jackets game was long. <laughs> so, uh, uh, legend has it that he drank 107 <laughs> beers on a cross-country trip to, I think, Los Angeles. Um, between Boston and Los Angeles, it's, a, it's about as cross-country as you can get. Uh, from the moment that, I guess, he left the clubhouse to get to the airport and all that stuff, he just kept drinking beers. That's the legend. Nobody knows the exact number. Even he doesn't know the exact number. He says I... it's somewhere within the 60s range. The rule book the ump had omitted the text about the playing curfew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, and so, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia did an episode where the gang tried to beat Wade Boggs' record. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic episode. I love it. Wade Boggs actually appears in the episode. Uh, it's it's great. It's a great... Th- it's a fantastic episode go see it if you haven't um and so of course wade boggs won the world series with the yankees uh was part of the 96 team uh with our lord and savior Derek jeter on the squad so there's there's a bit uh, once again i've got both you and you and charles in on this here's the part that would make charles proud uh he did a vignette with mr perfect kurt hennig back in 92 for the wwf Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and they became they became fast friends. They were fantastic friends. Of course, uh, WWE is uh, based in Orlando. Um, so, and Wade Box is, lives in in Tampa. So, uh, they, these guys just hung out. And uh, when, uh, of course, Kurt Hennig died, and in 2005 he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, and Wade Boggs was the one that inducted him. Oh, that's awesome. Because uh, Wade Boggs said that he saved his life. That Hennig saved Wade Boggs' life on a hunting trip once. Uh, Really? Yeah, apparently Wade Boggs had gashed his leg on a burb wire fence that they were trying to cross over or something like that. I guess it was like a really deep cut. He was losing a lot of blood, and Hennig saved him. He made like a tourniquet. He got him help, all that stuff. He just he saved his life. So... Uh, so there's the wrestling aspect there. And yeah, it's Wade Boggs, man. The legend. That's my Hall of Famer for this week. I, if he truly drank 107 beers, uh, <laughs> bravo to him. Bravo. I don't I mean, know how his liver would survive that. He's notorious for his drinking. I mean, it was like he was building up to it in a way. <laughs> He he just he was just known for that. I don't know. He just has a super liver. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that he could bat three hundred for his career and play professional baseball, I'm. I would assume he was probably a little hammered for a game or two. I don't know. He had to maybe one at least. And there he is, Wade Boggs, baby. All right. Uh, this was a really fun one to do. Yeah. Um, I always have fun with these shows. Yeah. Uh, I do have a minor league team. Okay. Uh, and, and, and because we haven't been able to do these smaller segments in the past week, so I kind of want to do them. Yeah, let's, let's use them up. 
Yeah. So, uh, uh, better know a minor league team. There's a billion of them, and of course, uh, Rob Manfred is trying to kill a lot of them, and hopefully he doesn't because baseball needs uh, fans, and these cities need baseball uh, for many reasons. And um, I felt this team was appropriate because of the whole controversy with quote unquote with um, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, and the Texas Rangers, of course, responded by losing eight games in a row. <laughs> um, so every time they lose a game, I always uh, tweet them with our sports sports gives account. How are those unwritten rules working for you? <laughs> it's great. It's it's fantastic. Um, yeah. So they. Um, uh, so uh, the minor league team are the. Right. Amarillo Sod Poodles, Andrew. Yes. Great name. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something I love about the minor leagues is you get these fantastic names. You get uh, the uh, the Flying Squirrels. You've got the uh, Trash the Pandas. Trash Pandas. The Jumbo Shrimp. The Baby Cakes. Rest well, they, they don't exist no more. Right, but there was a Baby Cakes at one point. Right. Um, I mentioned the Biscuits. Um, you have such great names in the minors. So, uh, the Amarillo, or Amarillo, if you want to say it in Spanish, the Sod Poodles, <laughs> uh, they are based out of Amarillo, Texas, uh, West Texas area. Of course, you know my affinity for West Texas, Andrew. I do uh, indeed. Uh, they're not my beloved El Paso Chihuahuas, who are also a San Diego Padres uh, affiliate. So I don't know. I might have a thing for them. Um, but the, yes, they are a San Diego Padres affiliate, Double A. Uh, they play in the Texas League in the South Division. They were established 2019, so they are a very, very new franchise, uh, and. Uh, they they won their championship in their first season. Huh. So it all worked out for Amarillo in their first season. Uh, the Sod Poodle is a prairie dog. That is yep. what a Sod Poodle is. Uh, once again, fantastic name. I don't know if you know the company Brandios, Andrew? Uh, no. You should because they make a lot of these minor league team uh uh, logos and help these clubs come up with their identities so you should look them up definitely uh, i follow them on twitter they do fantastic work the sod poodles logo is great they've got the prairie dogs uh you got like a weed in his teeth they got a you know the big giant uh 10 gallon hat on them and it's just a fun fun logo so um, and, and yeah, uh, they, they've only played one season, so they don't have many notable alumni yet, but one of them, I think he played like two games for them. And then he was ready for the major leagues is Fernando Tatis jr. Um, count. yeah, 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 it does count. It does count. Um, their home, their home ballpark is called Hodgetown. 
it doesn't have a not it doesn't have a sponsor it's not called something park or something field or something stadium it is just called hodgetown huh yeah i i haven't seen that before neither have i and especially you know in the minor leagues because they usually have a sponsor this is great i it's named after uh his name is jerry hodge uh, Amarillo pharmacist, businessman, philanthropist, and the 26th mayor of the city. So I guess Amarillo is literally Hodge Town. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it is also the most elevated park in the Texas League. So it is, uh, it's not exactly Coors Field, but uh, I guess the ball does carry very well over there. And, well, yeah. how, well how, how high up is it? Uh, let's see. I saw. I think it's. Hold on. Let me see. Uh, they say it right here on the stadium. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, approximately thirty six hundred feet. Not bad. Yeah. Once again, not not, a, not exactly Coors Field, but I guess the Coors Field of the Texas League. I guess. Yeah. I mean, let's see. Their dimensions are. They have an even. Let's see. Uh, an even left field at 325, right field at 325, and 400 feet down center field. I'm going to look up their ballpark now that we're here. And this is something I wanted to do with you. Uh, and we should plan that soon to look at weird baseball stadiums and just try and find these places. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I want to see it from an aerial perspective. Uh, let's see. Where is the satellite imagery? I just want to see how the field looks. Oh, it's still under construction under Google. <laughs> <laughs> but from the outline of the outfield, it looks like a pretty even field. So I, I was just trying to see if there was any quirkiness to it. That's uh, no fun. Oh, well, they have photos here. Uh, let's see. Are there more photos? Uh, can't see the outfield. Oh, well. Well, we can look at that some other time. I can dig it. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew. Oof. Gosh, I don't have a forgotten player. I don't have a real MVP. Do you? Not really. Okay. Well, I guess we're getting the end of the show. Uh, the, the <laughs> Look at this Harvard-North Texas game. <laughs> What in the... I don't know when they got to 73 points because that was a close game for, for most of it. What in the world? <laughs> we we left the segments and something happened. Hold on. I, I have to see uh, exactly what happened here. Just let me look at the stats and scores. Uh, box score. Let's just go to that. Whoa. North Texas hung 35 in the fourth quarter. Good Lord. <laughs> they scored as many points as Harvard did in the whole game in one quarter. <laughs> it was a close game up to that point, and then the fourth quarter happened, and I don't know, they must have turned on the air conditioning at the Metrodome <laughs> because the ball must have been flying. Okay. <laughs> Good Lord. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, look at this. Uh, 
I, I know this doesn't matter, but I just want to see how it happened. Uh, so it was 38-35 after a field goal at the, at the end of the third quarter, uh, 26 seconds in uh, left. At the 12:48 mark, North Texas has a 43-yard touchdown pass. Uh, then a 32-yard interception return at the 12:09 mark. So just not even a minute later. Then a seven-yard fumble return by the right outside linebacker at 8:04. Man, what a disaster for Harvard! Uh, a 40-yard interception return. At the 518 mark, a 26-yard pass from the quarterback to wide receiver at 302, and that was the end of the game. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I think we should wow. end our show on that. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Oh, man. Oh, oh boy. All right, Andrew, I don't have anything more to say. We We – did a lot of our mini segments, which was nice, and then we had a great conversation with Eric. Thank him again. Thank you again, Eric, for coming on the show. Um, I don't know. I I had another awesome episode, as I always do. All right. Thank you, BU and Freddie, for chiming in. As always, thank you to Lost Ruins for sponsoring this episode. Uh, I don't know if it was a great idea to sponsor this episode, but you sponsored <laughs> you sponsored a good one. That's for sure. That is uh, very true. Eric was a fantastic guest, and of course, I always enjoy my time speaking with my good buddy Andrew Charles. We'll see you next week. I hope you're enjoying your birthday. I'm out, Andrew. Take care, everybody. Adios. Good night, everyone. everybody, Brad Nessler here, and with me as always, Kirk Herbstreit and Lee Corso. It's a picture-perfect day as we get set for today's contest between the West Virginia Mountaineers and the thundering herd of Marshall. And they're pumped up for this one. This college football rivalry is going to be full of hard-hitting action. And here comes the thundering herd. The Mountaineers are a confident bunch of kids, and rightfully so. Kirk, this team is just too powerful. Marshall has spent all week trying to figure out how they're going to slow this running back down. Really? In my opinion, they could have spent all year. It still won't matter. He's going to have a big day and a big win. Nice pick, Kirk. West Virginia will win this football game.
Marshall is lined up to kick the ball off first, and we are ready to go. Here's the kick. Number nine fields it at the 11. At the 40, across midfield, at the 40, at the 30, to the 20, to the 10. He returns it all the way to score. He saw an opening, and it was off to the races. You know what, Brad? It's players and plays like this to make college football so special to watch. 